Michael Easley in context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. I've always been paranoid about my walk that I'm not this like super uh, prayer every day. I'm not, I'm not constantly in the Word. And sometimes, you know, conversations are one way and you're just listening. And I've always felt like God just speaks to me constantly and I'm just always trying to listen. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. We are in studio today with Jeremy Cowart. Jeremy started out first as a painter. What did you paint? Watercolors, oil, all of it? Yeah, a little bit of everything, acrylics and oil. How uh, old were abstract. you? Abstract. High school and college. High school so, and college? Yeah. You went on to study graphic design. You started a company, Pixel Grazer, in 2001. What were you doing with Pixel Grazer? Uh, I just realized that all my friends in town were, were musicians and writers, and so started designing for my friends, you know, that was it. So CD liners and yeah, the, the album artwork. covers, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You found out in 2005-ish that you were a photographer? Yeah, a friend of mine uh, said, you should get a digital camera, and uh, <laughs> it was kind of still early on, and I bought one of those and just realized how much I loved shooting and fell in love with it. In a relatively short time, you are rocketed into taking portraits of Taylor Swift, Tim Tebow, Kardashian, Sting, Civil Wars, Emma Stone, Courtney Cox, Ryan Seacrest, Imogene Heap. You even took my picture. Can I put that in there? We, we um, have. We, we've knocked that out. <laughs> <laughs> you work with ABC, Fox, A&E, FX, Discovery Channel, ESPN, People Magazine, U.S. Weekly, on and on it goes. Most recently, you've gotten some traction with Fast, with OK oh, Do Fast This, Company. a new yeah. app yeah. that has... Um, my son-in-law has a little handprint mm-hmm, in that. That's I'm, right. I'm excited right. to know that. That's fun. A Time Magazine. Talk a little bit about how does a believer in Christ walk into those kinds of jobs? Mm-hmm. Um, do they know where you're coming from? Do they know your story? Um, I'd say most of the time they don't. I mean, when I'm shooting a celebrity, you know, I'm just another another photo shoot, another thing to do in, the, in their journey. And, uh, you know, so a lot of times, literally, I don't even get time to, to say hello and meet. You know, a lot of times it's like, bam, 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 you walk in and you shoot, you know. But there are other times where, of course, I get to, you know, travel and, and really get to know people. That trip to Iceland I recently did with Imogen Heap, I mean, it was just she and I and uh, an assistant and her boyfriend, the four of us driving around Iceland in a car together. So the, um, it just depends on the experience. But you know, I really, I really feel alive and in really walking where I'm supposed to be when I'm working with people of opposing or different beliefs. I mean, I, I love it. I think it's just incredible. Expand on that a little. Yeah, it's just you know one of the one of my favorite experiences uh, was I toured with Britney Spears for three months, and I was thrown in a you know tour bus with her dancers and you know a lot of the the people on the tour the entertainers and i mean not only were we different belief systems but we were you know the russian the german the the hispanic guy the you know the african-american i was literally the only white person and beliefs belief wise we had you know me the christian we had atheists lesbians you know gays uh you name it traveling for three months together on this tour bus and i just loved that opportunity to to share what I believe, but also to listen to them and what they believe in and to to show them that, you know, not all Christians are extremely judgmental and and hateful uh, towards those systems. And and I don't know, I just I love trying to to reverse 
that that direction that the Christian brand seems to go, which is all judgment and hate. And you know, I feel like we've really got a bad, a bad brand out there. And so, how do you respond to in the world but not of the world? Um, I I mean, I certainly don't think of myself as a you know as a scholar on these topics. I, I but you know, from a just your normal average guy perspective, I just try to love people and. Mm-hmm. And and listen a lot. I love to just listen and ask questions, and and just try to be um, be Christ the best way that I can without throwing out judgment. And you know, I've been I've had to work with a lot of people who whose beliefs I don't necessarily agree with. You know, um, but I love those opportunities because I, I learn from them. You know, I just recently photographed a. Uh, uh, a family that the show Big Love is based on. So it's a man and his, I think, four wives. Right. And so we shot their book cover out in L.A. And uh, it was just such a wonderful day, you know, like just listening and respecting each other. You know, I'm not going to change or try try to change their belief systems in an eight-hour photo shoot. And right. so we just talked about our beliefs and there was no arguing. There was no fighting. There was no, it's just like, this is why we believe in what we believe and I you know talked about my beliefs and it was it was just beautiful and so I just love to just listen and try to love people for you know no matter what as a creative do you think you're wired that way is that a fair question I do I mean I'm I've always from being a kid just been laid back and I hate I hate um conflict I hate arguing I hate you know so many things that are going on in culture right now just all the the back and forth. I'm just so tired of it. And, you know, I just dream of this world where we can all, you know, disagree, but still respect each other. And so it's definitely, definitely what I, what I long for. You also have a heart for community projects. Yes. Uh, the voices of Haiti after the earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just sitting on my couch like the rest of the world at the time, just in disbelief watching CNN. Um, you know, and, and I just felt like the media was like, look at all these dead bodies, look at all the buildings that fell down. There, was, there wasn't really any story to it. And so I just thought, man, what if at the time Twitter and social media weren't as big internationally? And so a lot of Haitians really weren't on Twitter at the time. But I just thought to myself, what if they could tweet? What would those people be telling the world right now? What would they be broadcasting? And the media wasn't really doing that. So. I uh, hopped on a flight and uh, went down there myself and kind of... Just, was, just by yourself? Yeah, yeah. No no organization attached. Just by myself, I went down there and asked people, you know, what what would you have to tell the world right now? And it was only a week after the earthquake. So there were still aftershocks and dead bodies laying around. And, and it was it was unlike anything I've ever seen. It was like being in a war zone. Um, people screaming, fires on, on every street corner. Um, just chaos. And so it was amazing to, to see what people had to say during those moments. In 2011, you found yourself going to Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, it's kind of a follow-up to the Haiti Project. Um, I spoke at a, a conference where this my friend uh, Laura Waters Henson did a project on forgiveness in Rwanda. And there were, you know, here we are 20 years after the genocide and people are forgiving each other for murder. And it's just crazy. It's a crazy thought. So. I asked her, I said, what if we did my project like I did in Haiti, but did it with the people you're working with in Rwanda? So the idea was to go interview these people who'd forgiven the killers of their family and to do a portrait of them together. And not only that, but to shoot the portrait at the scene of the crime. 
Uh, For our audience, let's remind them there were over 800,000 people killed Mm -hmm. in the Rwanda massacres, Mm -hmm. buried in shallow graves, as Mm -hmm. far as the eye can see. And you're talking to these, these would have been children then at that time Mm -hmm. when the massacre occurred. So you're talking to them and the individuals that murdered their family members. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like I said, at at the scenes of the crime, we went back to where it happened. And in some cases, we even had the actual weapon that was used. Um, so yeah, it was it was completely insane. I mean, I, American. I can't ever imagine many Americans saying, "Yeah, I'll go do a photo shoot at the scene where this guy killed my family, and we'll go laugh, and you know, we'll we'll forgive each other, and we'll go talk about what happened." Like that doesn't happen, you know. And so, um, it was just beyond inspiring to to have those conversations and to see them walking through this process of reconciliation. How do you begin to fathom that? Oh gosh, I still. I mean, if someone killed. Your two precious children and your wife. Mm-hmm. How how could you then laugh and smile with them over a gravesite? Yeah, I have no no idea. I mean, I can't even. Yeah, I literally can't fathom it because it's just so hard to believe. But but to be there and to see it happening over and over and over. I mean, granted, it was twenty years, and they've all been through the reconciliation program. But still, you know, that's a quite a massive. Feet. And a lot of people haven't. I mean, and that's why these people are so amazing because right. they're some of the few that have chosen to forgive. And it was crazy because I didn't know what to do with that project. But when I got home a few months later, I got an email like, hey, we're launching this new photography blog and we'd love to share anything new you've got. And I was like, well, I did this thing in Rwanda and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and uh, it happened to be the new photo blog for CNN. And so the next thing I knew, this project was the leading worldwide headline. Could you forgive your family's killer? You know, wow. So it was uh, just amazing to see how God, you know, plants these ideas and then has a plan for them later after the fact. Mm-hmm. You've also moved into a project I found fascinating, just hearing you talking about it earlier today, this help portrait. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating concept. So so you're working with some people that have uh, been abused in difficult backgrounds, halfway houses. Tell us a little bit about the help portrait. Sure. In 2008, I had a very simple idea to do an event locally here in Nashville for um, a local um, rescue mission, you know, with families in need. And we just did photo shoots for them, gave them the full experience, hair and makeup, and just made them look beautiful, played with our kids, you know, just had a great day doing photography. And uh, after that day, we made a video, we put it on Facebook, and eight people commented, hey, if you ever do this again, I'd love to do it with you. And it, it was in those eight comments, I mean, not we're talking very little, but I realized in that moment, I was like, this could be a much bigger deal. This could be a, a global kind of thing. And so nine months later, in August of 2009, I launched the idea on my blog, and other people helped me spread the word. And then we had our first global event in 2009 of December, and people participated in, I think it was 43 countries in over 40 states in America. And so it literally instantly became this global movement. And ever since then, we've just been doing it um, all over the world every December. So, you know, a woman told me the other day, uh, my only photo I've ever had taken was my jail mugshot. Wow. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think we have cell phones. We have so many things these days to take pictures that they're nothing to us. You know, they're meaningless. Everybody can take a picture. But there's still, you know, the majority of the world it doesn't have a camera that can just, you know, snap snap a picture of themselves. So, I know it's probably impossible to answer. I was I was uh, on the photo lab side of things back when there was still film and developing mm-hmm. and, you know, custom printing. 
when you look through a viewfinder or when you're teaching somebody, the difference between you doing it and some hack like me, what's what's the difference in your opinion that you can take an image that we can look at on a website and our mouth hangs open going, my word, how does he see it that way? I don't know. I think it's uh, uh, just knowing light really, really well and knowing composition. You know, I think when most people look at their camera, they're just looking at their subject. And I am, I'm almost looking at the background more than I'm looking at the foreground because I'm very aware of how the how you are interacting with that door frame behind you and how that light switch is a distraction and how if I put your head over that board right there, it's going to let you know, like I'm thinking about the balance of shapes and, and lines around you as well as how the light is affecting you. And so, um, yeah, I think you just learn to, it's like learning to ride a bike. Once you start learning those things and learning how to see, it just makes a huge difference in even the most basic of images. Can you ever so, turn it off? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I am constantly seeing things and, you know, I do shoot all the time, even when I'm not on photo shoots, I right, right. shoot my kids every day. And so, um, but it never really bothers me. I mean, sometimes it bothers my wife. The other night we were in a rush to see a concert. We were running late, and uh, I had stopped to shoot a picture of these bugs swarming around a light, and she's still running to the show. And and she got annoyed and literally stopped to, you know, post on Facebook about her distracted husband photographing the bugs, you know. <laughs> now, you teach some. You speak some. You've done TEDx, Catalyst Conferences. Photoshop World, WPPI, Google Plus Photographers Conference, Photo Plus Expo. Do, do you like doing those events? I do. I mean, I, I don't think of myself as a speaker. I'm not really trying to be the next whatever, you know. I don't think of myself as a writer either. But I do enjoy the process of trying to motivate people and inspire people through, um, you know, just pursuing ideas and, and trying to to help people. And so I do enjoy sharing what I've done and talking about it in a way that, that hopefully inspires somebody out there. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's always a love hate thing. I, I don't think of myself as a great speaker, but, um, uh, I do share very emotionally. I end up crying every time I speak cause, mm. uh, cause I, you know, the other night I spoke in front of a big group and, you know, talked about my brother passing away this year. And of course I just wept like a bit, not like cool crying, but like ugly crying, you know, where it's like really <laughs> awkward for the audience. Um, I do understand. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's cool. Well, since you brought that up, uh, take us there. Your brother passed away. It's yeah, been a few yeah. months now. Yeah, it's been a tough year. My, uh, I was March 2nd. I was flying to Vegas. My brother was flying to Hawaii. So we were actually at the airport at the same time. And uh, we were texting back and forth. And and so then I, I had flown to Vegas and his, his flight got canceled. There was a storm that day. And I was on stage speaking i had just started a talk in front of 500 people and i got a 911 text uh saying you know my sister-in-law told me my brother had been found unconscious and they weren't sure what's going on so i was obviously alarmed but i had to keep talking because i'm in the middle of this thing so you've got your phone with you and you get this text yeah and then my phone kept ringing about 20 minutes later into the talk and an audience member actually interrupted me and said, you need to answer your phone. Um, you really, because I had already told them that something important was happening. Anyway, so I go call, go answer the call, and it was my dad saying my brother had just passed away uh, of, an, of a sudden heart attack. He had worked out earlier in the day and was fine, was healthy. We'd never had any clue anything was wrong. So it was, it was as surprising 
as it gets um, to lose my brother. So, and uh, yeah, it was completely. And so I had to tell the audience, you know, I'm like, it was a two hour talk. I had a long way to go. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I literally just lost my brother and I have to leave. And so, um, so and then that was, the, of course, the day this massive ice storm hit Nashville and I couldn't, all the airports were closed. And it was a really, really tough day. My family wanted me home and, and I won't say who, he won't allow me to say his name, but somebody ended up flying me home that night on a private jet just to get me home with my family. It's like the nicest thing anybody's ever done. And so, yeah, it's it's been really, really, really difficult. Um, I've got one other brother, so it's just the two of us now. But We all have something. Mm-hmm. We have cancer. We have bad backs. Mm-hmm. We have MS. We have, um, you name it, yeah. Alzheimer's, dementia. Um, this came early. Yeah, 43. I mean, he was twice my size but all muscle you know just a really big strong healthy guy good looking as it gets you know just you just think he's got his whole life ahead of him still um yeah just like that and then oddly enough i lost two more friends within the next month of this exact same thing all below the age of 40. Um, i had gone to lunch two weeks after with a friend in la a filmmaker and he was kind of consoling me and just saying how you know we just had a great lunch together and um Two weeks after our lunch, he died the exact same way. Was found in his uh, photo studio, you know, and just died of a sudden heart attack. So, yeah, it's it's just nuts, man. Every day is definitely is more special now, you know, just to try and enjoy enjoy every moment with my family. I often say this life at best is a clean bus station. And we're trying mm-hmm. to make it home. We're trying to make it permanent, comfortable. And mm-hmm. it's not. It's transitory. Yep. And uh, we just don't know our time. Let's shift a little bit and talk about people who are listening, uh, maybe some young 20-somethings, and that they love photography, they love art, they love whatever, and they don't know how in the world to get started, what to do with it. Maybe they're not even understood mm-hmm. by parents or others. Yeah. What would you say to them? Yeah, there's a lot, I would say. Um, I think one of the main things people need to really stop doing is comparing themselves. You know, it's so easy to to view your Instagram feeds and to go on, you know, Pinterest and all these other Twitter and Facebook and just compare, compare, compare. I'll never be that good. I'll never be that, you know, whatever, that rock star photographer. Um, but you just got to start shooting, you know, that's that whole 10,000 hour thing. Just start putting in the hours and shooting like crazy. There are a lot of great, great photographers. There's thousands of them, great artists, but the important thing is to, to really Focus on the ideas and the type of things you're passionate about versus perfecting the art of photography. And, you know, anybody can learn to retouch and learn Photoshop. Anybody can learn to light. Anybody can learn to, you know, take a good picture. But but few are really make interesting, unique work or have a unique voice. And that's the and that really I'm sure applies to anything. You know, to music. To um, but time and time again, I see people come out of the out of all the noise who just have a unique voice you know there's one guy that just shoots with a basic point and shoot doesn't even know photoshop and doesn't light anything doesn't have all the gear just a, one camera you know and it has a an amazing uh platform and career and there's now you know instagram rock stars i know guys with half a million followers on instagram that that just shoot with their phone but they're doing something interesting mm-hmm. you know there's that uh Humans of New York account that I was just looking at a few minutes ago, and it's a guy, and all he's doing is telling people stories in New York, just real simple, like one paragraph. And it's just blown up, you know, four million followers on Facebook, 
and all he's doing is basic shot on the street of New York, no lighting, no nothing, telling a story, and people just are so engaged. They just want to hear and know stories from fellow humans. You know, it's beautiful. Talk a little bit about your walk with Christ and all this mm-hmm. as, as a follower of Christ and a creative person with endless talent and energy. Unpack it for us. Yeah, well, actually, I think I think it was one morning when you were when you were speaking at fellowship. You know, somebody. I've always been paranoid about my walk that I'm not this like super uh, prayer every day. I'm not. I'm not constantly in the Word. I'm not. You know, doing all these things that when you grow up as a Christian, you think, oh, you're bad if you're not having your 30 minute daily quiet time and doing this and this and this. And the thing is, you who just said sometimes you know conversations are one way and you're just listening and. I've always felt like, you know, God just God just speaks to me constantly and I'm just always trying to listen and you know, a lot of people talk about ideas, but I always feel like those those ideas are just just I just I have to give God credit because they come out of nowhere and they're so clear and they're so present and they're so fast. I mean, most of my ideas, you know, my ideas for help port my idea for help portrait came, I think, when I was like eating at a Logan's Roadhouse with my in-laws and family and I'm like sitting there eating fried chicken watching sports and on the TV overhead and all of a sudden it's like bam here's this massive idea you know and it comes like that and the next thing I know it's you know well next thing you know a year later it's in 40 countries so and I think a lot of people have those ideas but I think a lot of people maybe maybe live in fear or I, I can't do that I'm not I don't have a platform I'm not special enough I'm not good enough but I just love that moment of, you know, jumping off that cliff. All right, God, it's it's yours. You've given it to me. I'm going to jump and see what happens. And um, each time I've done that, I just gain more and more confidence that, you know, I've just got a, I've got another dream right now to do something way bigger than any of that. And I've lived in two years and just so terrified of it because it's so big. But I know that it's another one of those kind of divine God spoken things that, that happened in a flash. And so. Yeah, I just, you know, I just try to um, do my best on a day-to-day, loving my family, loving those around me, and trying to pursue the these grand ideas that God's given me and um, really enjoy that process. You know, I don't think of myself as a photographer or, or really any of those labels. I just think of myself as a, a, an idea guy, and it's all, it's all God-spoken. So, If there was one thing that summed up Jeremy Cowart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. Um, first thing that comes to mind, I think ADD, spacey, forgetful. Uh, <laughs> let uh, me let me ask you this way: How would Shannon describe you? She would definitely, I think, say he's he loves his family. I mean, she she knows how much I love her and my children. So hopefully, hopefully that would be the first thing. But as far as like a from a career standpoint, just always, always dreaming and thinking. I mean, it's really hard for me to turn that part off. You know, I can turn the photography part off, but I can't turn the the ideation process off. I'm always got an idea, you know, and it's in, to the point at which it can be a problem because from week to week, I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on this now. This is what I'm going to do with my life. And the next week, no, 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 I'm going to be an artist now. No, 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 I'm going to start speaking and teaching again. No, and the next week, I'm like, no, 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 forget that. I'm going to, you know, so there's always something new that I want to do. So she would probably say something along those lines. He's he's just a dreamer, you know. Are you your own worst critic? Oh, for sure. Yeah, always. I don't hate my work, but I, I'm never like, I don't sit there and dwell on my own work and think, oh, that was awesome. You know, you're, you're constantly looking at your own work thinking, ah, 
that's not that great. If I had another 100 hours, I could make a better shot. Yeah, of course. Always. Jeremy Cowart, it's been great to have you in studio today. And we look forward to seeing what God's going to do with you next. Thank you. And um, to find out more about Jeremy Cowart, you can go to michaelincontext.com, michaelincontext.com, and we will link you to his many websites. Also want to encourage you to download the OK Do This app. OK Do This, all one word app. And you'll have a lot of fun learning about Jeremy and how you can engage in that application with your pictures and your ideas. Well, this is Michael Easley in Context. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at michaelincontext.com. Follow Michael on Twitter at Dr. Easley. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.